So welcome today. Um, I'm going to bring a, a message to you this morning that will inspire, encourage. Of course, it will challenge and bring peace and comfort, but always finding that at the end of the day, uh, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So I'm going to just pray a prayer before we start and ask God to bless our time together. And may he speak just to you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful time together. It's great to be able to allow you to speak to us, even though it may be through the medium of myself or somebody else. But also you can speak directly into the heart and the spirit of a person. Man, these days are very turbulent, uncertain, and filled with um, a lot of anxiety. We, we do need a God that comes and is able to protect us, to provide for us, and to give us a little bit of hope. Our nation needs it in all the nations of the world. They do need to know that the future and the future of our children is going to be good. So I ask right now, Lord, that you bless our time together in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, you know, the last couple of weeks I've been talking um, some interesting things. I think I talked last Saturday, Sunday morning um, about, um, I think it was to do with um, the hope and how you begin to get to a point of strengthening your life to really know about who you are. kind of sounds um, a little strange to say, um, do you know who you are? I mean, really who you are. What, what are you? Not on the outside or what people might know you as or who you are. Or somebody else tells somebody else about who you are. Because I guarantee you we could all pull somebody up and correct them on the... Uh, description they gave of you. Even husband and wives have arguments about that and they live together just about how you are. And I'm going to talk about, you know, really something very uh, deeper than just knowing that you are, you know, Neil Williamson or Brian Tamaki, whatever your name is. And then from there, everybody, unless they know you personally, um, have to maybe get to know you or never meet you or what somebody else says about you. So um, getting to know the truth, you, finding out, figuring and discovering who you really are. Again, it may sound strange, but I'm going to read a passage of scripture that some of you that are familiar with the Bible might know, but others may not know. So I'm going to read it from Matthew chapter 16 and uh, verse 13. It's when Jesus was uh, in a certain region of Philippi, he turned to his disciples and he said to them, who do men say that I am? Interesting, isn't it? Jesus of Nazareth, after doing many great things with people, miracles, he spoke well. The man was special. But nobody actually kind of could figure out who he was, or who he was for, and what was his whole deal. So he turns to his, his own men, and he's asking, who do people say that I am? That's quite vulnerable, isn't it? You put yourself up there and say, hey, everybody, who do you think I am? Everybody's got an opinion. <laughs> and if they don't know you, they'll try and somebody, who's that? <laughs> and, oh, that's the neighbor up the road. I haven't heard much, but I just saw in a column that they do this, this, and that. And sometimes we make a judgment on somebody by what somebody else said to somebody else that somebody else heard in the grapevine. And sometimes we make a judgment just because we got problems and we want to go negative on somebody that may be in uh, your knowledge capacity. So he's asking, interesting, 
They said, some say John the Baptist, okay? Some say Elijah, that's a prophet. And others say Jeremiah, and some say teachers, and all sorts of things. So there was a mixed bag of, I guess, uh, identity uh, judgment on this man. A mixed bag, you know, some say. So everybody's got an opinion. Then he turns and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And he's saying this to his 12 that were closer to him. You think that, you know, you're walking with somebody, knowing somebody, that surely they would have some idea. Well, this is what um, transpires from that question. Who do you say I am? It's an interesting name. Simon Peter answered and said, probably after a long silence, so there's 12 of them, 12 of them, and only one answers really. And he said something that's pretty strange. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, I guess Peter's a fisherman. <clears throat> this is who this is. Well, Simon Peter. That's his name there, Simon Peter. He's a fisherman. He'd only probably known Jesus for <clears throat> probably a good part of two and a half years. And they were only with him for three and a half. So they met him on circumstances where he comes down to the beach. These guys have got a fishing business. Right, so that's Simon and his other brother Andrew and the other one James. So they were in a fishing business, they had a business. Jesus just pops in and says, Hey boys, come follow me. That's <laughs> pretty, that's nasty, bold, isn't it? Yeah. Come follow me. Like they must have looked at him and they knew a little bit about him, but probably way up around the other side, Jesus was holding a crusade. But the big old Peter, who was known as having a <clears throat> pretty much straightforward opinion about anything wasn't involved in Jesus' crusades. Probably wasn't interested in religion. He had a big mouth because he cussed a lot. And we know that because at the end of the day when he does, the Bible reports about how he was fingered for being associated with Jesus. Remember at the fireplace and people were saying on the open fire when he was strung up with nails and crucified, they tried to identify those who were with him and they said to him, aren't you one of them? And he went into denial, remember? Kind of incredible, isn't it, how we can change suddenly from being with somebody and saying, hey, I love you and I'll do anything you want. And the next minute, yeah. I don't know him. Yeah. <laughs> Who the hell is he, you know? <clears throat> Gosh, you can't trust human nature, can you really, when it's... So we do know that of him. But how does Jesus leave the crowd of people that were gathering around him? He was, he was a very, very gifted man, very talented. He obviously had words of life, hope, that have never been heard before. But he had something about his presence. People couldn't figure it out. They had all the religious people at that time. They had the churches of the day, the religions of the day. The Roman Empire um, held the, uh, the state of that time, Israel, in a very iron grip of government uh, under Herod. And you would know they were cruel. So they were oppressed as a people. So there's a lot of things going on here. And suddenly this man just pops up. He has something about him. But he disturbs the peace of, of established religion. He also disturbs the peace of the Roman government because they're threatened by his following and they're threatened by the fact is he's different. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't have tanks, guns, bullets, spears and whatever. He comes and he simply uses the power of his mouth and his words. And people begin to um, like what he's saying. Those are mostly the destitute, the poor, I suppose you could say the uneducated, 
because the educated always have got something to protect because they sacrifice so much in their life and getting what they believe is the necessary resources to live yeah. well. So when they see people they think that are not making it, they need crutches. But it's funny that this man who obviously, um, I guess, he confused the intelligence, the educated, uh, the academics of the day, he confused the politics of the day. But somehow he went to the people who are open and ready and willing, those who needed to have that so-called crutch. He gave hope. I just want to fill you a little bit on this background. He gave a message of hope that was backed up with the power to do something that no human has ever done before, and that was to heal sicknesses out of bodies. He even went as far as to be able to uh, raise dead people. He did two, uh, two resurrections in his time. Those One was in a tomb, dead for three days, was Lazarus. In the front of many witnesses, he called him out of there, and he came out, and they unbound his cloth. I'm not asking you to believe or not believe. I'm just saying what is recorded and what has happened here. So... In the context of this, there's now a lot of, there's, a, there's just all this undercurrent. People are talking, right? People are talking and, and they're beginning to feel various feelings about this man. Mm. Who do they say that I am? Then he says to them, who do you say I am? Peter comes back with, from a fisherman, who had, I don't think he was religious. I mean, he was in Israel, he was a Jew. He would have had some, uh, I guess, influences around him growing up, but his business was paramount. Mm -hmm. Getting the fish in there, getting them to the shore, and making his money, his living, which I guess is most people's top priority in some way, is that money, the income coming in, being able to make a living to support your family, pay your taxes, whatever else. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So he didn't have much bother about him. He's around there, and I, don't, I think... I understand from this that Peter was not really into Jesus and what he was doing. But somehow that man knew that what was outside of his circle, someone who didn't think that he would ever be involved with the, whatever religion he was touting, he was interested in his business and making money. But Jesus makes his way and he, the knowledge and the perception is beyond almost human understanding. He doesn't just bang into him, he's purposely going to this man who was mending his nets. He was yelling at the other guys because they had a bad night. They didn't catch any fish. He comes up to them and that's what he does. He begins to talk to them and says, follow me. And that's basically a, it's, it's almost like if I went to you and said, come out to your house, come follow me. <laughs> I know what you're going to do. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that's the, that's the current language that most people understand. And you don't need to be speaking and learn it. Everybody, all languages know that word. So that's what you say. Basically, <laughs> no way. Who are you? I mean, nobody does that to that, anybody. I mean, even your kids won't follow parents like that. Your kids follow me, says Dad. Most of them go and go, what do I follow you for? You know, which is a bad, bad uh, testimony in light of the fact is their kids should be following their father yeah. in his footsteps. Yeah. Following mum too, and the example and the love they should be giving. So it isn't like that that's a, a, um, I guess, a 
not a PR thing or it's not a it's not a proper thing to say in society. All parents, all kids should be following their parents' example, shouldn't they? I th yeah. So, but it's weird how where social structures go to in society. So he does something that I think was he was saying, I'm kind of like your coach. I'm going to coach you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to. You've got something in you that you don't know about. I said, wow. Peter, Jesus went there and he knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. Is that possible for somebody to know somebody else better than they know themselves? Well, just ask a wife or a husband. Sometimes a wife will know you, man, better than yourself. Because you know she knows and we pretend we know better ourselves than she does. And so when we make mistakes, she pulls you up and says, Hey, how many times have I told you? And you say, you don't need to tell me. <laughs> that's like, or the husband tries to tell the wife. Now, that's a rare occasion, pulling her up <clears throat> and saying, I know you better than you. But it's true, isn't it? When you've been with somebody long enough, you, you get to know the real them or parts of the real them. And how good are we as people hiding the things in our lives that we don't want others to know about? Not even our spouses or our children. I've known of men who have carried deep, deep, deep down inside the cellar of their life wounds and hurts and childhood experiences and nightmares a lot of the time that have happened to them that they've even hid from their wife, hid from their children and anybody else, but also hid really from the real them. That's what I'm talking about. There's something else inside you that knows that that is there. And we think by hiding it in there, that's going to keep us safe somehow and keep us from shame or guilt. But really that becomes like a stone in the shoe. Yeah. It's hard to walk through life limping actually almost. And you are disadvantaged and um, you are handicapped in some ways in your life when you're carrying things that are deeply hidden away that are issues that happened in the past. So this is what he's doing. He's, so Peter comes back with an answer that really no human could. And that's why Jesus follows through with this. Look at this. He says, he's, you're the Christ. So he's saying, you are uh, a very special man. Christ means an anointed one. It's actually saying God. He's really saying something that no human uh, would ever accept to another human. Don't forget Jesus just looked like them. He had hair, eyes. He was wearing something. He had skin. Nobody knew what was under that skin, though. So for Peter and the other, the other 11 were just totally, <laughs> hold on, we've been following you in their mind. You're asking us now. It was easy for them to tell him who he was through the mouths of other people. Yeah. You got it? Yeah. But for them now to tell the truth about the person who you now have been with for almost three years, what have you seen of him? You've only seen him do things that are out of this world. Who touches somebody and they're healed immediately of a disease that physicians and doctors couldn't heal? Who raises dead people? Who walks on the water? Who gets money out of a fish's mouth? Who says the words that he says without any notes, without any prior theological training, not going to the universities and the education systems of the day? He didn't. He came from out of the desert somewhere. Someone says that John the Baptist, who was well received by most people, said, he's a man that's greater than me. And I am, I am finished now talking and he's taken over. 
this man is the very presence and the very power and God himself. And that's a very difficult thing to get your head around. Is this God in a human? And a human caring? The God who cannot be contained by the universe? Even the very heavens, Solomon said, cannot contain you. And you are the creator of all things that we see? Even if we don't believe God, we've got to understand there's a lot of things that challenges our, our short-sightedness and our unbelief and our doubt. And that's okay because how do these trees grow like that? How do seeds keep coming back? How's the ocean work? And how does the sky, the stars, the sun move? Just two things hitting itself and it all came out of that? Who masterminded us to think, to have emotions, to move, to feel? We're a higher order than animals. Animals can't speak, but we can as humans. God speaks. He made us in his image and his likeness, so it says in the Bible. So you've got to step back sometimes in those where you're desperate or you're lonely or your own thoughts with your thoughts, and you say, well, if he's true, can he be known? Well, obviously these guys were pulled aside with him. Now they've been with him and they've seen all of these miracles that I'm talking about. They've heard his words. You can't. Where did those words go? They touch their hearts even though they don't want to believe him. They struggle to try to describe, is this a mere man? Is this just human? Or are we dealing with something out of this world? So the eleven stalled on saying who he was. And I don't blame them because they tried to reconcile a human that we see. He he's skin, he's hair, he's like us, two legs, five fingers. He's cried. He gets tired. We've seen him sleeping. He eats food. He goes to the toilet. Does God do all those things? God is a spirit. God's out there somewhere. But how could he be bundled all up in this one human form called Jesus of Nazareth? And they are, they are confused. I can under You imagine if you were there, you'd no Bible. Bible hadn't been written then. They had not this to read, 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 read. People are reading this for days and they still can't get it right. They had no Bible then. All they had was a living person, the actual man himself. But, but they knew they couldn't say, you're a prophet, you're a, like all the other people's opinions. They couldn't say he was the best teacher in religion. They couldn't say he was some great man from the past like Elijah. He couldn't. They couldn't. They even couldn't. So to get your brain to get human description of a superhuman, a man that's got something more than just what we mere humans have, and yet it's in this human. Is this a human walking with God in it? <laughs> How do you explain that with no Bible? And the, and the religious people were saying he's a fake. Uh, they wanted to kill him, which eventually they got him there through the Roman. So... The eleven couldn't find a description. I probably would have struggled too. I don't know, there's somebody special. Only Peter had it. That big, burly, cussing fisherman that would later be in and out and up and down, but he, he eventually became the pillar of the church. So he says, you are the Christ. I mean, all of the, all of the churches and the theologians of that day could not figure that. The Christ was the anointed one, like the special one that would come from God. You are the Christ, but saying the Son of God? That was like not son as in we're all sons because we believe. He was actually saying he, he was from God. He is God. And that's why Jesus answers 
I think Jesus might have been a bit shocked. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. I'm just saying that to you. No human mind could get that. But my Father, who is in heaven. Now you're saying, you've got a direct zap from God in your very limited intelligence and academia. You, it doesn't matter about it whether you're the most educated, most theological person. wouldn't have worked. But God somehow went, and you just opened your big mouth, and out it came. Theologians are still playing with that statement today, and the best of them. Right? He says it, and Jesus says, it's come direct. You couldn't get that. And he says, this is what he says, though, the next thing after this. And he said, I say unto you, now, he's getting to back to where I want to get my last few minutes in. He says, you are Peter. So from a very divine, heavenly God moment, he suddenly switches it back to the human. So see back here, he called him, his name was Simon. He was known to all his brothers as Simon. The Peter was given by Jesus. He named him earlier. So the whole name was Simon Peter. So in those days, they didn't have surnames. They were known by the first name. His name was Simon, Simon the fisherman. Here, Peter had, uh, God had renamed him and called him Peter, which means rock. And so he goes straight back after he has an uh, insight that this is God. He immediately now goes to Peter to say, while Jesus said, I know who I am, but I know you don't, Peter. And your name, Simon, had a certain meaning and certain connotations attached to it. Your old life doesn't count anymore. And really what Jesus was doing was opening this man's whole inner world up yeah. so he could really know who he really was. Yeah. So you're not just confined to being Simon, cussing and swearing down at the boats, not catching fish and yelling at your brothers and your partners and trying to get this business going and we're not catching fish so the money's not flowing. And that's kind of a picture at some stage of everybody's life. Man, I'd like to know who I really am. So he tells Peter in front of all the others, he said, you are Peter. Now he's, he's beginning to give him the revelation of both his human side and the divine side. So he says, you are Peter. Upon that rock, the knowledge of you, understanding a deeper aspect about you, I will build the most powerful institution in the world, the church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Wow. And then he even adds, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose or permit shall be permitted from heaven. Wow, that's a lot of power to transfer to a fisherman suddenly who's elevated to almost divine levels. What's going on here? The most contentious thing, if you read the Bible, understand that, I know this, the most contentious thing about what was seen as being just another man, a mere man like all of us, Jesus of Nazareth was his identity. That's the most contentious thing, was his identity. That identity issue got him close to being killed before his time. Quite often he'd say to his disciples and the bigger crowds, please do not tell anybody this. You know, Don't tell them that thing. What thing? When they suddenly discovered the deeper part of who he was. He was okay if he was always just going to be a mere man. He was okay if he was just another John the Baptist, and who do the people say I am? Their opinions, just a prophet, another teacher 
then the, the established religious institutions weren't bothered or threatened. And neither was Rome with the proconsul and also with Herod. You've got these people. They weren't too bothered as long as he remained at a level where he was perceived by everybody to be nobody great or special. But what does it say when he was before the Roman consul and, and of course of the might of the Roman force that was oppressing the, the nation of Israel at that time, he was asked by um, Herod himself, do you see yourself as a king? Because if he was to be a king or he admitted that he was a king, that was in direct conflict with Roman authority and they would kill him immediately. So everybody's expecting that he's not going to say he's a king. But he said, that for that reason I was born. Funny, isn't it? The man that would change the history of our country and influence it more than any other person ends up with a crown of blackberries and gorse around him. Thorns. He, I, I want to bring your attention more to us, but how he, he sees it in a moment of identification. Identify myself, knowing who I am. It's interesting, there's another story, I think it's in Mark chapter 5, verse 25 to 34. Have you heard about the story of Jesus moving with crowds around him because he could multiply five loaves and to feed 5,000 and two fishes? He could walk on water, he could say words of healing that people would be healed of these diseases. I would hang around him too. He was something. A certain person in this story saved the time. In Mark chapter 5, 25, a certain person came up to him and said, Lord, my 12-year-old daughter is dying. Could you please come and heal her? He said, I will. He started to move. This is Now, you've got to understand when we're talking about this whole identity, who am I? So obviously Jesus is not just a mere human. None of us could pull these things off. I mean... To do what he did as being a mere human is impossible. It doesn't happen. Humans can't walk on water. Humans can't heal people. Humans can't feel in the sense that they are a divine being without knowing the divine being. So he's now just told Peter who he is. He's kept his humanity, but he says there's something supernatural about you. He, God gave you something and put something in you that you had insight and revelation. So the human is meant to be in a relationship with the God who created him. And sin cuts that off and unbelief. And but he, Peter receives it. He gets, he gets power and authority. And later on, you know, in the book of Acts, he starts doing the same things when Jesus was taken away, resurrected again from the dead, and he ascended to the Father. Peter becomes another Jesus. He stands up, this ex-fisherman, this ex-probably hater, this ex-unbeliever, this ex-betrayer of Jesus at the last one. Jesus reinstated him. Man, you don't just get one chance with God. You've got to have about 50, 53 or 4 or 60. He's not a God of just a second chance. He's a God of a third, fourth and fifth because that's how much we need. And that's the whole idea of Christ allowing us the grace and forgiveness to get up again until we really find yeah. something that solidly sets in us and says, I know who I am. Yeah. 
I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to say that anymore. Yeah. I don't need to try and pretend anymore. Yeah. I don't need to live a small you know, life with a small mentality and a small family with a small home and to deny my own brilliance that God has put in my life. This woman, this particular occasion in Mark, and you see now knowing that God is in this man. He's going to heal this young girl, this 12-year-old girl. But as the throng go with him and they're pressing and people are shouting, there's noise and tr they're trying to you know, get to him and they are, the disciples are trying to say, don't push him, don't get too close and suffocate. The man's trying to move. And amongst that, there was a woman. And the ladies in this room and watching online would understand what I'm about to say. Us men don't. She had trouble with her menstrual cycles. Bible says her bleeding would not stop and it was a constant for 12 years. So here's God on his way in this man Jesus to heal a 12-year-old girl it is who is now on a deathbed. And he was, so this is the man who has God speaking to him, God moving through him, going in that direction. Who would dare intrude and bust in on God's party or God's direction? If God says he's going to heal his 12-year-old, and it's right. And the parents and everybody in the throng heard it. He was on his way there. But there was a woman who had this 12-year problem. I'll give you the quick guts of it. She had spent all the money she had and trying the very best in the medical profession. Doctors and of that day and physicians, the Bible is clear, she spent all her savings, her money. Only you ladies could even understand constant bleeding. Now that's back in those days where they didn't have the comforts of the IC units or the comfortable beds and all the medical things. To I can't imagine what it's like for somebody to be bleeding all the time. If you get a wound and cut yourself or a stab or a shotgun in the gut, the first thing is, anywhere, stop bleeding. How does, how does it feel, ladies, that you've got to, not just for the moment, I mean, if I'm going to get stabbed, I want that bleeding stopped. The ambulance here, all the staff to do it right here, wouldn't you? Because the bleeding out is often a problem of people dying when they have a wound that bleeds. But here's a woman who, through a menstrual cycle, is bleeding constantly. No access to the the luxuries you have today to be able to curb that. But they could stop that, of course. But they couldn't in those days. Mm. She couldn't find the best physicians. She spent all her money. What did she do? I'll tell you what happened in this story. This is the truth of it. She said to herself, I am going, I heard about this man. I'm going out to where I've heard he is. And if I just touch the hem of his jacket, I will be whole. That's what the Bible said. She spoke to nobody else. She spoke to herself. What are you saying to yourself? What's the inner voice of your life saying to you? I mean, are you accusing you? Are you your own worst enemy? Sometimes we have more problems with ourselves toward us. You know, you are your own worst enemy, they say. How well do you get on with you, really? This person said to herself, that's what the Bible's clear, she spoke to herself. Self-talk is very powerful. The, the biggest voice in your world and your life is your own voice. Now she's talking to her own body. If I would just touch 
the hem of his garment. Nobody else knows what she's think-talking. Yeah. And who would have ever thought that somebody's think-talking is going to have a, such a major effect on not only her own body and life, but all her family who have obviously suffered with her. Mm. Imagine the children, and she's a mother, husband, and the people around her. How do you stop all that bleeding? Using, what did they use in those days? And it must have been terrible for her to have that for 12 years. She said, finally, sometimes it takes all your money, the desperation for her to get to a self-talk that was not just ordinary coffee chat talk in your head. You ever got to a place in your, you know, in your mind and you're talking, but you, you change the tone and the very the spirit of your self-talk? That's enough. I've had enough. You know? And that, the thought became before it was verbalized externally. Because thoughts are everything. I mean, your power is in your thoughts first. Your thoughts go into tomorrow before you do. You're thinking ahead. You often, you, sometimes people say you didn't think before you spoke. Um, that's a rare occasion because most times there is a, a, a thought or thinking with the speaking. So there's a measure of self-talk that we've underestimated in our lives that can have such an impact on our lives. And to show you how much that we don't use it, it took the desperate measures of her money to be actually touched before she got desperate enough to talk to herself in a way that was going to change her world. Yeah. Did you hear what I said? Yeah. And I think I'm talking to a lot of people right now today, you're listening to me. Sometimes you put your business and your money above as an idol, almost, and it is the only thing that makes your life something and makes you believe that that's where your life exists and comes from for everything. We need money to spend on things and to get things and to pay bills and to buy the home and to make, our, make sure our children's future is secure. But money can't have you. You can have money and spend it opposed to nobody making it and have it as much as you like. Get it all you can. <clears throat> if you use it well and money hasn't have you and you share with others if you have enough, more than enough, that's why I always say don't have just enough for you. That's greedy. Have enough so you can share with others. Yeah. Have enough that you can help somebody else and be generous and charitable mm. and giving outside of your own world. Mm. Makes your heart good. Yeah. And this, this woman, it's that kind of self-talk that begins to change a stale, kind of pale, you know, brittle, you know, withered up you. I, um, I think that sometimes the only way that people will change is when something intrudes into their world and touches something that has your affections or has got you like money. Yeah. Work. Yeah. You know, some traditional values that are long gone past their use-by date. Yeah. It takes a desperate moment in your life to be pushed to a point that you come to the realisation of daylight about the issue. Twelve years, spend all your money. Then you hear about something that comes from God through a man that's doing these things. So the only way she's going to break all the internal and prison pain and problems and yeah, she has a good talk to herself. But the talk's filled with faith. Yeah, Meaning I've gone past the 
physicians, I've gone past my money, I've raised, I've spent it all, all the advice from my kids and all of the stuff that's even in my own head. And she, she said, if I go there and I just can touch him, he doesn't have to give me his eyesight. He doesn't have to tell me anything. He doesn't need to speak to me. I've already got it in here so bad I want it. Yeah. If I just touch it, something's going to come from him to me and I'm going to be healed. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> I don't know her, her, her religious status or her, her family status too much about it. I mean, nobody knows her really. She just comes into it. It's good. It's an unknown. She comes and muscles into the crowd. The Bible says she didn't tell him. Nobody knew. She reached through and just touched. Now there are people clamoring around because the next thing he stops. Wow. If only we could be so sensitive to the different people's attitudes and real motivations and they come to you to want something. Hmm? Would have saved a lot of heartache and misery about crooks and all sorts of people who don't like you and going to diss you later. He's touched by genuine integrity. He's touched by somebody's desperate. How desperate. Isn't it a beautiful thing when somebody comes and says to you, I just want to do this for you. And you know in your heart, it's, it's everybody else around is sitting there just looking. And somebody says, I want to do this for you. This is moves. You know. You know that person. They get your attention. And you know in your heart and you say, that's a beautiful person. Somebody else... Is, is just comes and does your lawns or somebody drops off something and you've got friends around you who haven't have noticed that you needed something and done nothing. But somebody does something. What has happened? Your affection suddenly go to that person and say, wow. And, and it draws something of the energy and power from you to them. He stops and he stops like that. And he doesn't know because God's plan is that other 12-year-old girl, not the 12 years of bleeding. Sometimes we just go through life and we've got no actual real desperation or want to in us. Let me just finish this up for us and hope you get the point of this. And I hope it really works with you. You have the power within you, something within that you have that begins to identify that you could have power with God. That you could actually extract something that you're not getting from anybody else. Any human, no, not your work, not your job, not even your family or, or your business or your money. But there's something waiting for you that people don't know. It's amazing that God doesn't know you're coming. God, you're not even in God's plan for the day. People are around them. There are other people before you. Sometimes you can feel like you're just another person in the crowd, another brick in the wall. Another, just I'm just an ordinary, you know. Well, great. You're a great candidate for your ordinary to go to extraordinary. But you've got to do something. You've got to put a little bit of something out there. Desperate in your own moment. That means that I can be in a moment of loneliness in my room and say, God, I've got this real problem. I'm going to really humble myself and say, help me. Yeah. <laughs> Desperate for help. I yeah. need you. I don't know what to do next. Or they're saying this, or they're doing that, or my wife, my husband, my children, this, the business, that. I'm going apart, coming apart. Yeah. I need you right now. That's yeah. the touch. Yeah. That will go through the clouds, through the sky. It'll go right past your, your restrictions, your limitations, and through the space of the universe and go right to the heart of God. Yeah. And he hears it. Yeah. That man stops in the crowd, stiffens up, and he says, Who touched me? Yeah. <laughs> Who touched me. Touched me. Yeah. 
And the this apostle said to him, what do you mean? We're all touching you and trying to help you through the crowd. And people are pushing you. It says they're jostling. And he, they said, everybody's touching. He said, no, somebody touched me and power went out of me. Yeah. Something was taken from me. What I have was transferred into somebody in this yeah. crowd. He didn't know. Wow, God did not know. God was snuck up on. Yeah, wow. Somebody intruded, busted into his party, yeah. took away the direction that God was going and made God stop to take notice of little old you yeah. and what you're thinking, what your life is going through. Yeah. I don't know what we expect sometimes, that he should come bust into our world, give you a... A, a, um, a Christophany or you know some magical appearance by God and, and you just want that to happen sometimes he will do that but I, I see in the story that you've got to do something yeah. break out of the mould yeah. don't, don't care what other people think who do people say I am I, I'm tired of being you know, defined by other people's opinions and all my life I've been afraid and I've been defined by that person, yeah. by a grumpy father or an out-of-it-workmates. I'm too afraid to just be me. Yeah. Wow. It's a desperation that gets results. Yeah. A desperation that healed a sickness in the body. I, tell, I told my daughter recently, Jasmine, who has been struggling with cancer, and now she's out of it on the best side of it. Mm. We all struggle for her. Lost her, her breast, went through operations, chemotherapy and she came to me hugging me and knowing sometimes it's people think well you're the Christian you're the believer why did God do that or let that happen and there are nasty people that say those things and I said to Jasmine God knows and I said to her and I hugged her and I said here's my word to you your inner voice and what you say in your head is the voice that the body most responds to yeah and if your response is down, depressed, and I know a lot of people, they go into a tailspin, and I can yeah. understand that. But you must speak faith into your body. Yeah. You must tell your body over all the voices of even the surgeons yeah. and the doctors. We receive their, their help because they're gifted by God too. Yeah. But your voice and what you say yeah. is going to be the critical factor whether you make it or you don't. Yeah. Whether you're going to get healed and give it a chance or you don't. Yeah. You've got nothing to lose. So I yeah. say to yourself, cancer, you're not going to win. Yeah. I will win this vice. Get out of my body. Yeah. You don't have to say it, very say it to you. Yeah. Your body best responds to what you are saying yeah. to you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's so good. She was healed by a sickness because she said, I will be healed. Yeah. If I touch. She didn't speak to anybody else. Yeah. Wow. Powerful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I can proudly stand here today as I close this today and say, I found my own identity when I found Christ. Yeah. I stopped, you know, being determined, my life being, you know, molded or made by other people's definition of me. Your life, your future, and we and who you are as a person is going to be critically defined by you believing who you are. Yeah. I love that about what God has done. He's given me my life. I can believe in me. Yeah. And I, I respect people's opinions about what they think, but it's not my business about what you're thinking about me. Yeah. What really matters is what I am thinking about me. What you think about you matters. Yeah. So then you'll stop being afraid. Yeah. Stop being fearful. And you'll start having more voice about things that you feel that you're going to do. All right? 
okay, so you don't like what I'm going to do, but I have to do this, so I'm going to do it. Let the dogs bark, but the caravan's moving. Right? <laughs> Sometimes you just got to do what you feel is you. Be the very best you. But be a new you. It's like Apostle Paul said, <clears throat> very bold statement. The man who was learned at the feet of Galileo, the best university at that time, he was a very educated man, but when Christ just came into his life, took his whole world, turned it up right side up. And the man goes and says something in the book of Philippians, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, previously killed Christians, now you're trying to save them to be Christians. What a story of conversion. He says this, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah. And he said, the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave his life for me. Yeah. That's it. Wow. Man, I can feel it. I mean, right now, that's like, you know, I, I feel I can help a thousand people all at once. I mean, just, you know, that's, that's the beauty of it. It takes you out of the old, stale you and reinvents you. And I'm 64, and I'm still finding more about me mm. and the discovering my life on who's the real Brian. Mm. Not the Brian you think I am. Yeah. Not the Brian that I was told that I was. Yeah. Even my parents. But the Brian that God tells me I am. Mm. I like that one. Mm. That's the one that Hannah likes. <laughs> she says the other Brian sometimes pops up and says, that's the one <laughs> that needs the wife to be the helpmate well thank you so very much for uh, being here today the visitors here I hope you got something today but out there I want to pray that somebody now has just discovered you know you can touch God in that way wherever you are and look you know what there is virtue there's power that went into that woman because she said unto herself in a moment of good desperate self-talk I pray whatever your need is now, you'll be met, healed. If you've been put down, you found all your life struggling with your own self-esteem and your self-worth, today God loves you. You need to think far better of yourself because you're somebody. And God made you, so you are worth it. And I want to tell you today to actually dare to venture out and say, well, you know what? I've I, I got some things in there I need to clear out that have held me down, down in the cellar of my life. I've had some mental monsters tell me yeah. you'll be embarrassed and people will be shaming you. And Well, today you're free yeah. to be you. Yeah. And uh, however you do that ritual, doesn't matter as long as the, as the new you and the, the uh, better you and the, the best version of you comes out. Okay, God bless you. Thank you so very much for being here with me. See you again. Bye. <laughs>